Hey, we're in uh, James chapter 2 this morning, so turn there if you would. And uh, as you do, I want to tell you a story about when I was about, uh, well, 2021, for a couple summers, I worked at uh, Nordstrom in Palo Alto, California, Stanford uh, shopping mall area. And uh, Nordstrom uh, really was a, was a great company to work for. And uh, we, they, they gave us a good pay scale. There would be, we actually had a, we had a salary and then we also had a 6% uh, commission off what we sold. And so as a young man, I was able to do pretty well and uh, put towards just college experience and all of that. So it was just sweet. But the deal is that when you live in Stanford, California, and some of you are from that area, uh, boy, there's just a lot of wealth in that community. And it's kind of its own little bubble unto itself. And, and so we would get people coming into Nordstrom, and uh, again, they're you know, all decked out, and they've got uh, all the nice clothes, and, and they would drop a significant amount of money. And I remember specifically uh, one Saturday afternoon, and my friend and I worked in a, in a department called Men's Furnishings, and Men's Furnishings did uh, all of the shirts and the ties and the cufflinks and, and everything to, to make men you know, look good. And uh, I lost that along the way somewhere, but... Uh, <laughs> I did at one time look good. And so we, uh, we would help, help uh, men and wives who would come in trying to dress their husbands. And, um, and one day, uh, my buddy David and I were just uh, waiting around for people to come through the door. And, and uh, this guy comes in, and, and he's, just, he's just shabby. Hair's kind of all tattered, and, and he's in sweats that are kind of stained with I don't, coffee and whatever. And uh, David and I are looking at each other, and we're just like, you know, he's looking at shirts and the, and the policy or just the way we would work is we go, hey, how can I help you? And, and typically what you would do with the customers, you'd walk around with them and, and help them uh, find clothes. And you'd carry their shirts and stuff like that. And uh, so David and I are like, you going to go? I don't, don't want to go. So, uh, so finally, David's, uh, David goes. And, uh, and I, I see someone else come in and, and I take care of them and. And, and, and David's with this guy for like an hour. And, I mean, the guy just really just sloppy as could be. And, uh, and he ends up, and, and we're ringing out together finally up at the front, and he keeps ringing, and he keeps ringing, he keeps ringing. This guy dropped $7,000. He just bought a bunch of shirts. He bought these Onyx cufflinks, seven grand. Uh, he was so wealthy, he didn't care what he looked like. And... Uh, <laughs> And it just right away was like, my goodness, isn't it amazing how quick we are to judge? Isn't it amazing how quick we are to read a person by the way that they look and how often we do it? And it comes in various forms, all kinds of ways. You know, when we walk into a grocery store, who, which line we're going to get in, what attendant, who's slower, who's faster, you know? And we, we just judge people. And we do it all the time. We show favoritism. Partiality, And that's what the scriptures are going to challenge us with this morning is, is what is our lifestyle like in Jesus Christ as we live together in this community and as we live together in this broken world? Uh, are we ones who are showing favoritism? Are we showing partiality? And God is going to call us to another place. So turn me, with me, if you would, to uh, James. Uh, you're already there, I guess. I said that. All right. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, 
and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not become judges with evil motives, evil thoughts? It's pretty harsh. And so James is in right to the core of the way we look at each other. The old Saturday Night Live, you look marvelous. Doesn't matter how you feel, you look marvelous. And we do that. And what James is saying is that faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and favoritism cannot reside in the same home. They cannot be in the same place. As followers of our glorious Lord Jesus, we cannot have a lifestyle that shows partiality. They do not connect. Do you remember the Lord Jesus, through his brother James, is teaching us to grow up in Christ? He's trying to help us to mature, to become reflective of the image of Jesus Christ. He's challenging us to keep on this road to perfection, again, perfection meaning maturity, that you and I are all growing in Jesus Christ through our trials, through the way that we view money, through the way that we are loving each other, through the way that we are called to forgive and to enter into a relationship. And he's challenging us to, to grow up. And this morning he's going to challenge us in the area of favoritism. Are we reflecting the image of Christ in our lives? Or are we shutting people out because we play favorites? These are my favorite people. These are the ones I'm going to be with. Not those with the messed up hair and the, the bummer sweats that are all messed up. And so James brings us to a place of growing us up. Favoritism shuts out people from the love of Jesus Christ. And we need to know that about ourselves. That when we play favorites, when we show partiality, we shut out people from the love of Jesus Christ. And the word that he uses here, <clears throat> do not show favoritism, do not show partiality. It's, it's an idea of one who receives by the face. That I, I look upon, I receive you, and my face, uh, as I look upon you, I'm receiving by the face of so my image of you. So, based on external view of who you are. And then it, it even kind of has a further meaning that once I've received you by the face, once I have given my external view of you, then I look down upon the face, which means I kind of look down my nose at you. I lift up my face and I make a judgment. That's what he's speaking of here. Don't show this type of favoritism. Mahatma Gandhi, great peacemaker of India. When he was a student in college, he actually read the Gospels, and he was fascinated by Jesus Christ. And he thought, I want to find out more about this man, Jesus Christ, because 
if there's anyone who can break this caste system of separating people out, the rich and the poor, and, and, and developing a, a class system, if there's anybody who can do that, it seems like Jesus Christ has been a man in our world who has done that. And so he found a church in his home village. And he went into the church to meet with the pastor and to find out more. After the Sunday service, he wanted to ask more about who this man Jesus was. And he was very seriously considering converting to Christianity. He was Hindu, obviously. And as he went in and an usher met him at the door... And he went to go find a place. The usher said to him, we don't have a place. And basically said to him, why don't you go worship with your own people? And he said in his journals, when that usher told me there wasn't a place for me, that ended my search for Christianity and Jesus Christ. I figured if this is a caste system in this church, then why bother converting, and I'll just stay Hindu. And he did. Because someone chose to show partiality, to show favoritism. We don't really have a place for you. You don't really fit in here. James uses the story of rich and poor. But favoritism has many looks, doesn't it? It has gender looks. It has economic status, race, age. We look at each other. You know, it's interesting. The scriptures always remind us, and one of the things you need to continually remember about the character of our God is that he never looks upon the face. Remember in Samuel, trying to find a king, this young kid named David. And so they bring in all the older brothers. All the older brothers who are stronger, they've had more battle experience. And so here's Samuel going, Lord, you know, I've gone through all the guys. He's like, wait a second. Let me tell you what the truth is. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance. And then what's the finished statement? But the Lord looks at the heart. That's always the way that the Lord views us as his children. He always looks at our heart. And for some reason, we keep looking at the outward appearance. We keep showing partiality. And God, again, through this book of James, is saying, I don't want you to be ones who are doing that because it doesn't reflect who I am. And again, it has no place in relationship with me. None. There is not room. Well, how is it that we, in this church and just in our community, what does it look like for us? How do we, how do we show favoritism? What are some areas that maybe we struggle with, we sin? against the Lord in? How do we do this to each other? You know, I was thinking one of the biggest ways for us, for myself, very much so, is in our social presentation. 
the way we come into a social setting and, and what we look like, the clothes that we're wearing. And then the biggest thing that really made me think about this generation was that we have a generation that takes their body and they say, this is my canvas. And so we have a whole new generation coming up who is covered with tattoos. They are. And you know what? They love God. And they're continuing to try to love God. And I think if there's one area that maybe we are struggling with, is we are shutting them out. Because, what, they have some artwork on their body? You know, I watched you guys this morning as I greeted you and as I've been teaching up here. And as I shook your hand, and it was a quick glance at my arm. It was a quick glance going, huh, is that a real deal? What's Richie doing? But we do it, don't we? And we don't want to look too long because then you know, it might catch your eye checking me out. This whole next generation, you guys, seriously, is tattooed and pierced. And if you look at our body, I mean, honestly, look around us. Look around us. Look at the people in this church. Where is my tattooed brothers and sisters? I know we are. (laughs) But you know what? I know some of you who are tattooed, and I know your love for God. But honestly, I mean, if we take an honest look at ourselves, and as one of the elders of this church and as a pastor here, uh, I do this often. I look at us, and I go, what are we becoming as a church body? And the reality is, where is our next generation? And I think we have to take an honest look and say, there's maybe a reason why there's not a lot of the next generation in this church. Maybe subtly, maybe sometimes strongly, we are shutting them out. Because what? They have a tattoo on them. They have a piercing. And so we kind of make a judgment call on who they are. And God is saying, I do not look at their outward appearance. I look at their heart. I'm not here to make a judgment call on tattoos, right or wrong. All I know is that God looks at the heart. And I want us to be a church body that is doing the same. I want us to be a church body when these young people come in. I want you literally to say, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. It's so good to see you. We are thrilled that you're here as a young person in Christ, that you would want to be part of this church. Or do we just stare and look at them? You know, I'm telling you it's true because we actually had a guy who came in this church for quite a while. And and he had he had the, the earrings were actually the hole in his ear was becoming that big. He had kind of long hair. He had a whole family that he brought with him. And man, you know, I kind of watched us and we didn't quite know what to do with him. And he felt it. And so actually he's not here anymore.
Do not show favoritism, my brothers. We're shutting people out. You know, we, uh, I just want to encourage you in this. Here's one of the ways I've entered in with this generation. And I, I think you can do the same. Which is when you come across a young man or woman or anybody, actually, who has a tattoo. This is what I do now. I go, tell me the story about your tattoo. Because you know what? There's always a story. And do that without critical spirit. That we would enter into these people's lives and we would say, Did I just lose it? Oh, I'm in. Tell me what that's all about, what significance it has to you. And you'll find something amazing about this young individual, about their life in Christ, about who they are. And if they don't know Christ, you get an open door to share your life as you ask. I just want to encourage us as a body to begin that practice. Because, again, we have a whole generation. And guess what they do? They look a little different. They're beautifully covered with art. And that's their choice. And honestly, you know, when we look at each other and it's like, you know, as I stand up here and teach and you see a tattoo on my arm, does it change? Does it change your view of me? Does it change my love for God? Does it change your respect for me? How can you teach the Word of God and be tatted up? Yeah, these are fake. I think you can tell that. But, but you know, does it? And that's just what God's doing in our hearts. That's why he's wanting to make us mature in him. That we begin to reach out to one another. Because look what God says in his word. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom that he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. You've insulted the tattooed. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? What he's saying is that God not only loves, but he chooses. You know, some of you have adopted children. And it's that same image. And actually the Lord says that of us. We are adopted. We are co-heirs. We're children of God. He chose us. And he's saying, don't you understand? I chose these people. He doesn't, he isn't showing any partiality or favoritism, rich or poor. He's saying, I've chosen the ones that the world has cast out. Everybody else has shut the door on them. And so the impoverished, the ones that nobody wants to spend time with, I choose them. I love them. And he wants us to see his love for people 
as he chooses them like parents who adopt a child. And you know what? These, these little beautiful girls who most of the world doesn't want because they want a lineage of, of men. And so these girls are left to who knows what and we pray that they'll be adopted out. But these little children that, that maybe have a, some physical ailment and some of you have adopted them. I don't care that the world says they look this way or they have a physical element. I choose you, dear child. That's what God is saying. I choose. And isn't it amazing that here God chooses, and He's saying, when you do that, you, you go against, you, 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 you ridicule, you mock, you, you, you make this person feel like they are of no value. And yet I'm the one who chose them. And so what are you saying of me, God? And we do, we go against the Lord when we choose to do that. When we, when we shut out like that. Because God chose them. God chose their heart. He says of each and every one of us, those who love Him, rich and poor, tattooed or not, those who love Him, God has chosen They're beautiful children to Him. We dishonor the poor. We dishonor God, the lover of all. Are we judging humanity by their bank account? Are we judging humanity by the way they look? You know, I think we're going to be really surprised when we enter the kingdom of God. And we see who's there. And you may be a little bummed out thinking you had it all together, and I can't believe some of these people made it in. Here's what Scripture says about who's going to be there. You ready for this? Revelation. And John says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, a great multitude, that no one could even count. From every nation, from every tribe, every people, every language, All kinds of tattoos and earrings (laughs) before the throne of God, in front of the Lamb. And guess what? They were all wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they all together, as one, they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb of God we shout, salvation. And for some reason, we keep giving preferential treatment to those with status and to those who have the look. I think somehow thinking that they are going to offer us something. We give preferential treatment to the classy, the cool, the... The people just like us. And you know, I know I do that. I like to be around people who are like me. I like it. It's comfortable. We have fun together. We have similar interests. And if there's one thing that's been, been good that God's been doing in me is, is just connecting me with just a wonderful bunch of people. You know what's interesting? I mean, honestly, the more we get to know each other, you, get, you start to realize, like, we all have our little stuff, you know what I mean? 
we're all kind of goofy in a lot of ways, and we're all a little bit weird. And, and if we could start to enter in and just realize that about ourselves, and go, you know what, we are all just a little weird. We have our quirks. And start to love each other in. You know, one of the things that's great about this, this uh, let's eat lunch together that's been good, is just bringing people from all different walks of life. Keenan and I have had the joy for the last couple of weeks just having folks over. Many of you have hosted in your homes. And everybody shows up and we're all a little bit weird together. But we're, we're getting to know each other in the Lord and who we are in Christ. And that's what he's asking us to do. Yeah, you know, we're all different. We're kind of unique. But when we come together and we show the love of Christ to one another, you know what, what comes out is who Christ is in you. And we get to see the heart of each other. And so the real privilege for me over these last many years is, is getting to meet families and, and individuals that I, I probably, honestly, I typically would say, you know, we're just so different. We really are different. I'm not sure I'll ever really connect. And just asking God to break that down in me and just being open to, hey, whoever God brings in my life, may we see the love of God in each other. And truly, may we end up loving each other well. I just want to encourage you to, to keep doing that. Keep doing that. Because we're all a little weird. And let's love each other well as he's calling us. And he's saying, stop giving this preferential treatment, thinking that some people are going to provide for you. They're going to, you know, we, <clears throat> we kind of suck up to the, to the rich so that maybe we'll get a little something in return. And what he's saying is, you've got to understand what's happening in the community. What's happening in the community was, you know, again, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, man, that wasn't a good deal. People didn't want to be around you. And so you end up losing your job. You get fired as a follower of Jesus Christ. So now you're broke. But you've got this land, this farm that you're working, and the landlord's coming and saying, hey, you need to pay up. And you're like, I've got no money. And then the rich are saying, well, since you're not paying up, I'm taking you to court. And I'm going to get your land. And I'm going to get your children to be my slaves. And this is what was taking place. And here's what would happen. They would show up at court together. And here's the Christians who got fired, who are out of money, who are being persecuted for Jesus Christ. And then they would say, you owe us money. And they would mock them. And then they would mock the name of God. This God you follow. This Jesus. What a joke. And then so the Christian community, what they were doing to each other, is showing preferential treatment to those folks. As they came into their meeting, it says, that means as they came into their church gathering. Hey, come in here. Come sit right up front. You... You who are in the same situation as me, we both have lost our jobs, but you get out of that seat so this rich person, maybe they'll, maybe they'll hook us up with a little cash. Maybe they'll do something for us, a little favor. And he's saying, isn't it amazing how we're drawn to that? How our flesh shows this preferential treatment. And he's saying, stop it. He's saying, open your eyes to what's going on. In God's eyes, everyone has celebrity status. Everyone. We all get to sit right there with the Lord Jesus. We each have great honor in his eyes. 
And I don't know how often I can tell all of us, and, and as, I, as I remind myself through the word, that again, you and I are children of God. And we are heirs to the throne of God. We get to come in, heirs into his kingdom. If that isn't absolute love and quality of who you are, you can't go any deeper. And so he's saying, let's stop judging each other. Let's stop showing favoritism. Here's how I want you to live, he says. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, look at this, you sin. And you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, if you, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, I I know this feels kind of, uh, it feels strong. But I want you to know, it's not me. And and the thing I think sometimes, again, we, we, we try to walk away from, it's like, Lord, don't convict me so much. You know, that we, we want this Christian journey, to, again, to be somewhat comfortable. And yet he's always in the process of making him like him. Always. That's the sanctification process. And so I don't mean to come across just like, woe to you, I can't believe you all. <clears throat> it's really, Lord, unto us, would you show, again, us as a church body, as, a, as followers of Jesus Christ, would you show us, if we're doing this, would you minister to us and make us change because we want to live for you and because you're showing us through your word that this is, this is a lifestyle that you don't want for us. And so I just want to encourage you as followers of Jesus Christ that you would take it as such. And whatever the Spirit is speaking to you, that's what the Spirit is speaking to you. I know as a church... And as a leader of the church, I want us to be better at loving people into this body, loving people into the kingdom. I think that's a constant call for us. And I think if, we, again, we take an honest look at ourselves, we go, maybe we're not ministering so well to the next generation. How can we do it? And he's saying, listen, if you live by the royal law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And likewise... Love your neighbor. He's saying, if you're living that way to the rich and the poor, again, not favorite, God's not saying poor or better. He's saying, I love the outcast. If you live by the royal law, if you're reaching out to your neighbor, and the scriptures say, well, who's your neighbor? Well, Jesus goes on, well, there's a story of this guy, the Samaritan, who everybody hates. And so... What happened is he's beat up and 
The Samaritan cares for this man who's beat up on the road, who's his enemy. Which one's your neighbor? Which one showed the most love? Well, the Samaritan, who everybody hates. He's saying, if you live in such a way, caring for those in need, caring for those who have need spiritual life, caring for those who have need in our community, if you live in such a way, then that's good, he's saying. Then before the Lord, that's good life. That's living the character of Christ out. And then he's saying of favoritism, and see, this is the thing, because I know I do this, and I'm sure you do, which is we think when we, when we do that judgment upon people, that it's not that big of a deal. And I want you to see what James is saying here. If you commit murder, if you commit adultery, if you show favoritism, you sin, and he puts them all in the same place. He's saying it's serious. It's destructive lifestyle. It doesn't reflect how much I love people. And so he calls all of us to live the life of a royal lifestyle, of living the, the greatest commandment of all, to love our God and to love our neighbor. That's what the Lord is calling us to. He's saying, don't take lightly what I'm saying. That all the sin, it's, it's all piled together. And it's a serious deal. And God, again, that's why He came. Because He loves us and He wants to forgive us our sins and He wants to cleanse us of that and He wants us to grow us up in Him. And He wants us to love each other in an incredible way in which Christ's love is just being poured out. Philippians 2, that he, that he came and he humbled himself and he emptied himself and he took on servant. And he says, you do likewise. And in John 13, he took his outer garment off and he washed their feet. And he said, you do likewise. It's not about we go around just washing each other's feet physically. We live a life of servant, of humbling ourselves with each other of realizing who we are in Christ with each other. We're all lawbreakers, each and every one of us, deserving of the strongest judgment from a holy God. And thank God we have a Savior. Thank God we have a Savior. Listen to Ephesians 2, because this is who we are in Christ Jesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That means that there's judgment that comes upon that life. Now, here's where it gets really good. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We were dead and we are made alive, and that's who we are in Christ Jesus. 
And who are we to look upon another person and say that's not who they are? That's what he's saying. That each of us have received mercy in Jesus. And you know what we do? And trust me, in all these things, you guys, I include myself. I hope you know that. You know what we do? We say, man, you looked at pornography. We judge according to sin. Man, you, you embezzled money. I only lied. I only coveted. But you, wow, whoa. And God is saying, if you don't have mercy on people, you will not receive mercy from God. Because what he's saying is, if you have really received mercy from God, you know what a sinner you are that was in need of a Savior. And you know that your sin is just like the rest, that we are a mess in need of a Savior to get us out. And if we don't show mercy to one another, then God will judge without mercy. It's serious, he say. Because favoritism and godly lifestyle have nothing together. This is the only place we can begin. Honestly, this is where we are able to have mercy for one another. When we all gather here at the foot of the cross and we say, this is why he came and he died for me, wretched sinner. And there is no way, there is no way I can show favoritism when I know that we're all here together. And so we beg God and we thank God and we say, Lord, thank you that you showed mercy on me. I don't deserve that. That's grace poured out. And that you have made me alive in Christ. And not only that, you have seated me in the heavenly realms. That I'm a child of yours. And each and every one in this room who loves Jesus is a child of yours. And so, Father, forgive me when I don't show mercy. Forgive me when I look down upon and I think I've got it all together. And help me to love my brother and sister. And help me to love this broken world who needs to be alive in Christ. Because I want to reflect your image and the love of God to each other and to this broken world. Because I know that's the work that you want to do in me, God. And so purify my heart. So I have a lifestyle of God's radiant love pouring out. Not judgment. Radiant love. Life-changing love. Because we all need it. Let's pray.